You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. We are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. That's me. Burns on July 4th, 2016. Happy birthday, Uf, uh, USA. <laughs> happy, happy 240th. This is Future Theater oh, Live broadcasting from legalized. the banks. Okay, this, the, will it be the 240th the whole entire year until next year, right? Let's That's make how sure birthdays we, go. Let's make sure we legalize pot this year. Hi, Angel. <laughs> Speaking of pot. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Pot, uh, either uh, this month or next month, will be moved by the DEA from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2. That's what we hope. Which means it uh, can be medically uh, examined and studied. It actually is medically examined, studied now. The United States has a patent on cannabis as a, a pain reliever. In, in any event, uh, this is Future Theater Live broadcasting on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network from... The soggy banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Sulberry Village, Pennsylvania, on a warm but rainy July Fourth night. We have Here a little. We, we have a little thunder in the distance, but a, a gentle rain, which is very helpful to our show tonight, as you will soon see. We have crazy neighbors. Just like everybody else on the planet, we have one side that's crazy and one side that's not Quiet. crazy. And the crazy ones, of course, love fireworks. Of course. And Pennsylvania is the fireworks state. Yeah. That is, and so it's raining everything on the, it's is raining legal in Pennsylvania. Fireworks. You go to fireworks. a supermarket in Pennsylvania and you can buy a cherry bomb. Well, That's these Pennsylvania. People- I almost want to think this family must have some vested interest, but they but they like to do uh, like a little cherry bomb in a garbage can whenever they feel like it, sort of out of nowhere. And if you're just wandering around and you're we're, we're looking down the barrel of seventy here, okay, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight um, with our guest John Alexander, among other things. And we're also going I've to talk. slid down that barrel myself. Yeah, we're looking at the barrel. I mean, John Alexander. We're looking at the barrel. Uh, I'm not looking at the barrel. Well, it's all, over the, the it's all over the internet, so I can say it. I mean, he's looking down the barrel of 80, so I want to hear how he – I'm telling you, if you want to go through your 70s like a champ, go to John – go hit the link for John's name and check out the last 10 years. He's been places. He's been – he has seen things. That's what we're going to talk yeah, about Yeah, he's tonight. been in Peru. He's gone to Machu Picchu. He has uh, mm-hmm. traveled the world. Yeah, well now, okay, so um, one of the things I want to talk about tonight, and Angel, you're on, right? Chris is, is Chris going to get on? Uh, Chris is on. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. Oh, there you are. Hi. I thought you were sick. Two I am oh, sick, and I am. We all thought he was sick. Yeah. I am. I am <laughs> sick. I really am. And, and, why, and, and tell us why sick was going to matter tonight, and so then we'll promote for next week instead okay. of promoting well, for tonight. Actually, one of the things that I didn't ever explain is that um, – 
I didn't keep my head on straight for one thing is the main main thing. But, but you live in I Oregon and you are soaking in pot. Yeah, so oh my let's God. just throw that out But I don't have what happened is all my memory or my on my Skype got erased. And if uh-huh. I would have had went back to read what all what I had wrote before, then I could have kept track of all what I had said and well, well so that you're, got so erased you're, and so things got mixed got up it. and so it was my fault. And then it didn't help. I I got sick on top of that, and so yes, it's all my fault. I am taking. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. What's your fault, Chris? Because I'm confused. That I got it mixed up, but that I just I should have been on it more. And no, Chris, uh, Chris said that he had uh, a a mishap with his Skype. Yeah, on my Skype. Well, I got. I'm back in the PSN chat again, but I went to go get on my Skype the other day. And my kids were on Skype. My daughter was, and all my messages were erased. Like mm-hmm. we're going back my whole history of everything. I mean, everything. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of screwed everything up. I don't know what happened there, mm-hmm. but um, you know, because my mind's not a hundred percent all the time, of course. So I got to go back and read what what I write to make sure what I said. Well, just yeah. as a just as a throwaway. You may be living in a pot state and you may be medicating for legitimate reasons and also recreation because you can. And I have to say, you're one of the most steady, easy to work with people, but steady and dependable people I know. So screw, screw the myth that it makes you, it makes you into uh, a couch potato, although it does that too, right? It will do that. Well, it does that, but you yeah. know, you got, I got a family and kids. It depends on, so the, it depends on the person. It depends on the person. Depends it on the couch. It depends, yeah, it depends on, on the, the couch, couch too. I was just yes. going to say that too. I mean, my God, you get a lousy couch, you ain't going to be a potato on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to talk tonight about a terrible thing, and it's sort of a continuation from last week's terrible thing, but it, it doesn't have a happy ending. Um, and so I wanted to throw it out, and then when our guest, John Alexander, comes on, I'm hoping we can sort of tippy-toe over to it, because I don't believe he's able to listen to the first half hour. I think he's almost traveling, almost traveling right he's up to the He's just getting in. Yeah, he's just getting in now, yeah. Of, of the show, and in fact, he can only stay on until 11.30 our time. So we'll have open lines after so yes, 11.30 our time. And write this number down. Uh, for Get it. T- well, no, don't get it tattooed. Um because it could change. Seven eight six. Tattoo it on your forehead. Go ahead. Don't, no, no, because when you hear what I'm going to talk about, you're going to realize that was a fox po. That was a fox po. You almost uh, cursed there. Good job. Fox po. <laughs> Seven eight six two four five eighty one twenty seven. In the last half hour, we'll, we'll say it again because we'll have lots no, to talk um, about. Yeah, seven eight six. Seven eight six. Seven eight six. Two four five. Two four five. Eighty one twenty seven. Eight one two seven. Okay. Now, see that is actually, you know, what we just did is what people do in monster-sized crowds to try to pass the message along. I saw that in Occupy. It's called the human mic. It's called the human mic. <laughs> right. Seriously, it's it's very weird, very weird, and, it, and and people repeat for their next crowd. And I wonder where that was. That do you think that's always been? Do you think that was in ancient times? Anyway, nah, anyway. Well, we know that repeating of signals was done in ancient times because that's how that's how the Greeks knew that the Greeks that the Athenians defeated the Persians. Oh, so tell me what? Tell me what? Set the scene. That sounds like a good story. The scene is that um, the, uh, the Greeks defeated Xerxes, king of the Persians, mm. and the runner 
who had to announce the news so they could light the fires right. across Greece ah. had to run 26 miles, hence the marathon. Yeah, and also hence the uh, flame at the beginning of the Olympics. Right. That's yeah. the whole point. And that's what happened. So it was done. But that's nothing to do with voice. It, it, no, it's, a, a it's voice as signal. Voice as signal, yeah. No, but I actually, somebody asked, I think on Reddit someplace, in a really large crowd, how far can the human voice carry? How many people deep? Maybe 10 people, 20, anyway. Anyway, so, but I want, speaking of that, speaking of... Well, that of, depends. I mean, if you're a, a, a live theater actor and yeah. you've learned how to project your yeah. voice in Which, okay, let me throw this out there. Acoustic Let me throw this out there. Um, we now, Bill and I have uh, ditched our TiVo kept our Roku. It sounds like we're in another universe. Um, Digital TV, kept our Roku, but now have Xfinity and are exploring all kinds of really cool things, including our wonderful Patrick Stewart has a very funny comedy in which I have to say to you, the first two episodes were really funny. It's gotten less funny as you go on, but you love Patrick Stewart, but he's doing a comedy show about a talk show host who is just huge, and his name is Blunt, something Blunt. Walter Blunt. And his thing is like Blunt Talk, but he's a, he's a talk show host on TV. And basically, you know, it's if you ever remember the comedy called Absolutely Fabulous, in which women just kind of, or actually there's other ones like this, in which men just kind of carouse and drink all day and smoke and do anything they can, and then... Uh, or as we call them, the good old days. Yeah. And then, yep, you know, yep. and then when the, when the microphone goes on, they're, they're back on their game. And I want to say this. There's a bad thing going on again at Bell Gab, only it's gotten worse. It's what we talked about last week. Okay. I hope I'm not spreading it by talking about it, but I think I can spread the cure as well. And that is while I think MV was probably asleep or something or he, he skipped moderating. You know, he gets a few new uh, people applying to Bell Gab every day. So he probably clusters them, it looks like. Well, about four or five weirdos got in last night saying they were from, um, you know, Nazi sites and they were infiltrating and they were – and, they and you know, but but they missed the point, you see. They, they act like if you tell them they shouldn't talk about anti-Semites and so forth and so on, it, it's missing the point. You should not hate anybody. It shouldn't be legal to hate anybody, period, period, end of story, hmm? Right? I have a list of people you I say. hate. No, but no, but you can't. You can't go on a forum and try to get all your. It's like a crying fire in a theater. You can't get all your friends to go and kill them, and wish they were never born, and throw stuff at their house and stuff. And and Why not? me. That's Why one. Not? Come on, guys. And I believe. And here's the question: so, uh, Different people have written to me privately and and asked the question: Is Trump? Bringing this stuff out of the sewers and out of the closets, and they're, oh, they're getting. Oh, God. Here we go with Trump again. I'm asking. The, hold on. I'm now, asking. The, let's go with something real serious for a moment here. I want to give a shout out to Art Bell, who's sick in the hospital. Oh, yeah. Um, Art has pneumonia. Yeah. Yeah, he has pneumonia really bad, and he's been in the hospital all week. So, our uh, you know thoughts and prayers are with Art and his family. Uh, you know, my, my mother passed away from pneumonia this year, so I know how difficult this is and what he's going through. So, it's true. You know, my my prayers part- are with you, Art. And the worst part about it is in all our prayers with Art and, and what we hope is that um, given this heat wave, they can clear up Art's pneumonia um, yep, without yep. any residual effects because the problem with pneumonia is that if it gets worse and worse and worse, there's a danger of congestive heart failure if your chest cavity fills up with fluid. <laughs> 
Correct, which is what happened to my mother. I know. That's what happened. Yeah. Uh, that's the end stage of pneumonia. So yeah. uh, that is dangerous. Angel, it's hard, harder to fight it right. off the older you are, too. So. Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah because, because at a certain barrel, point, right? the, the antibiotics that are supposed to kill uh, that, uh, that virus, the antivirals don't work anymore because your body is too weak to withstand it. So we hope that um, he's strong enough and that um, the medications work and mm. he's, he's able been, to. He's been in there for over a week now, so that's not good. Well, no. I, I didn't know he, he's still in. Yeah, yeah, he's still in the hospital. He's in Las Vegas hospital. If anybody wants to uh, send any condolences to Art or any well wishes or anything, uh, go to his uh, Facebook page and leave him a comment. I'm sure he'll. Yeah, you don't it. you don't send condolences. You say get well. Oh, yeah, get well. Say, yeah, you say get yeah, well. get well. Yeah. Condolences yeah. on your illness, Art. I hope you get better. Yeah, that's yeah. right. There you go. Send him a candy uh, gram nurse, huh? So in less than two hours, in less than two hours and fifteen minutes, less than two hours and fifteen minutes. We will know, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory will know if the Juno spacecraft, which has already fired its retro rockets to drop its speed down to allow it to be captured by Jupiter's orb, by a Jupiter's gravity, JPL will know at 12.30 Eastern Time, 12.30 a.m. Eastern Time, if in fact... The Juno spacecraft has been successful in inserting itself into orbit around Jupiter. It's a polar orbit. And then the fun begins because uh, if the mission is successful, and this is a, an over four-year mission now, if this mission is successful, then we will know a lot more about Jupiter, whether there is um, water ice on Jupiter the nature of the poles, the nature of the storms on Jupiter, and we will know a lot about the largest planet in our solar system uh, in starting in two hours if the mission is a success. It's reached Jupiter. Now we need to know if it can orbit around Jupiter. And this is the spacecraft that's going to really tell us more about – there is a theory, this is so exciting – that some of the uh, um, moons uh, around Jupiter, maybe around Saturn, it's two hours and 15 minutes now, maybe around Saturn, certainly around Pluto, may have liquid water under the surface. And if there is liquid water under the surface of some of these moons, perhaps there is bacterial life. And if there is bacterial life out there, then we are not the only life on planet Earth in the solar system. Let me ask you this. The same way I'm going to want to ask John Alexander. Since you have one foot in the UFO paranormal field in which you purport to believe all kinds of stories about intelligent life out there, why do you cling to each little nugget of plain, ordinary mainstream silence as though somehow that's going to change anything ah because because yeah dare you ask good question good question i was thinking of i was thinking of that earlier in the day because and this is going to sound very old-fashioned to everybody and i was thinking this in terms of john alexander too but this is going to sound very old-fashioned uh and it's something that um jack sarfati said years and years ago Jack Zarfati and I don't agree on a lot of things, but there are some things we do agree on. And one of the things that we agree on is that 
mainstream science as opposed to fringe science or conspiracy theory science or pseudoscience. Mainstream science, like mainstream anything else, when you have individuals whose credentials and status have been peer-reviewed, I mean, anybody can open up a word processor, write down, um, do 70,000 words, um, save those 70,000 words as a PDF, go to WordPress or any one of the companies that make your website, put that PDF up on a website, and presto changeo, you've published a book, okay? The difference between that and something that's peer-reviewed is really, is at least to my mind, is night and day. And so one of the reasons that I like stories from NASA and JPL, it's that people who really have put in the time to study the disciplines they're in, the fields that they're in, people who've put in that... Yeah, but that- it still doesn't answer. I understand all that. It doesn't answer how... You don't want to almost, you know, declare rebellion and say, wait a second, the two both can't be true. We can't just now be discovering uh, bits and pieces of life and and at the same time, the secret government, the breakaway civilization is all about communicating with 57 species. Oh, sure, they can both be true. Sure, they can. They can't both be true. Yeah, because on the one – no, I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying it's discovery. I'm saying that maybe the secret government stuff and the breakaway society stuff and what's really going on with UFOs, that's out there. And I mean I do believe that UFOs exist, but – and I do believe there's life out there. But the fact is this gets us to the point where what is outside the Overton window of journalistic acceptability now slips inside the Overton window uh, of acceptability, so we move forward. The Overton window. You can never go wrong. Well, no, Overton you can't window. because the Overton window yeah. really defines it really defines what mainstream journalism will talk about, what mainstream commentary will talk about it. I mean, now, what's well, so fascinating now is that... Um, You can watch mainstream even as we speak, particularly with Trump. Just watch Trump. Watch Trump and watch the um, dissonance that surrounds Trump when it comes to the mainstream media. Tonight, Bill and I watched because it's 4th of July and there is no MSNBC, so we were stuck watching Fox, the only uh, channel of the three. Yeah, that's actually having having programming. And they had a show called Meet the Trumps. Okay, Which was my idea, by the way. You know, I have to tell you. Meet the Trumps. Yes, when I there was an uh, there was a cover story in People magazine, and I, to in my mind, I said to myself, "This is why he ran, because he is a brander, he is a licensor, he is. I mean, like me, he's been and produced his own reality television show. But he show. believes, um, just like Herman Cain believes, that the brand polishing that running for president does to your brand, well, it doesn't matter how much um, <clears throat> he has to go through the mud, you know, and all his old stuff has to be. He doesn't care about his old stuff because he, he made peace with his old stuff. No, it's like Newt Gingrich. It's the same thing with Newt Gingrich and Ben Carson. It is that their brands ramped all the way up because they ran for president. So my belief, and this was a private belief, is I saw a People magazine article 
oh, would, I guess a year, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, year ago. And the article was on the cover of People, The Trumps. And it was the whole family. It was basically what, what was on Greta Van Susteren tonight, Meet the Trumps. And I said, my God, that's the reality show. Imagine a reality show in which about a family, call it the Trumps, call it the Kardashians, call it anybody you want to call it. Yeah, call it the Kardashians, in which the patriarch of the family <coughs> runs for president. Now, imagine that as a reality show. Now, they did that with the Mitt Romney documentary, which came out after the, um, Romney lost the 2012 election. But can you imagine a reality show uh, in which the family forms up around the presidential candidate who's a larger-than-life candidate, who mm -hmm. commands crowds well, of five and 6,000? I, I can show. see that myself, you, too. We're having that reality show. Yes, and that's my point. It doesn't matter to him, mm -hmm. if he wins or loses, what he has now, even now, is the best reality show on television. Mm -hmm. Of course, he knows that. And he's hoping, as I said, he's hoping that, for example, Gawker won't make it stick that he's actually bald. If Gawker can make that stick before they go out of business, um, you know, that, that might make him upset. He'll, but here's the thing about Meet the Trumps. Tonight, um, they did an interview with Melania and it is very disconcerting to think of a lady sitting on a chair. First lady. First lady who can barely speak the language. I don't know how that's going to sit. That was a problem for with me. I mean, Trump's I have most to, you know, racist supporters. I'm look, I, I'm generally wide open on who can be president. Who cares? You know, as long as it fits the Constitution, that's great. But when I heard her speak... It just, it's like this Malcolm Gladwell moment of blink. You know, you're saying, hey, wait a minute. Here's well, it just, it just, it seems wrong. It seems wrong. As it, you feel like, who have we handed our country over to? Yeah, th uh, uh, that's right. I mean, it's like, didn't we just finish up a Cold War with these people? Well, also, um, who's the woman? Um, remember that very wealthy woman in, who had all the, sh Melinda Marcos. It was like watching Imelda Marcos. And here's the funny part about it. Now that you've brought up Imelda Marcos, mm -hmm. the person who represented Imelda Marcos in the United States was Paul Manafort. I believe it was really? Paul Manafort who's now Donald Trump's campaign oh, manager. That, well, you should recheck that. That's really cool if that's – Well, Paul Manafort represented yeah. uh, uh, the Russians. He represented people associated with Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. I mean my big conspiracy theory, you know, since in the world of conspiracy theories, my conspiracy – and this is my private conspiracy theory. So anybody who wants to dump on me, go ahead and dump. Who cares? It's this – I think that Donald Trump is the Manchurian candidate. I think that he is there. He is there working with Vladimir Putin. The two of them have this idea of divvying up the world according to what they want. And I think that that was the reason. Yeah, but Bill, they said the same thing about Obama when he ran the first time. And they said the same thing about Bush when he ran and Clinton they when ran, he ran. But they always say every time there's a president that people don't agree with, well, how about guys oh, he's a Maturing candidate. He's evil. He's the Antichrist. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. The Russian military intelligence. Russian military intelligence. GRU. That's an oxymoron right there. <laughs> well, the Russian GRU. <laughs> anyway hacked 
the Democratic Party's opposition research file on Trump, then gave the file to Trump. Mm-hmm. And Manafort has been linked to a whole bunch of, of, of Russian insiders inside the Vladimir Putin palace guard. I think it's the one who remained who was linked. No, no, no. It, it, it's Manafort. That's the guy who, who was the, he represented them as a, as a lobbyist. Maybe not a lobbyist, but he represented them. Think about how the right would twist that if that were. Oh, my flip. God. Just think if that were a Clinton. Yeah. With those ties to Putin, what the I right would do with emails. that, but 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 that was a uh, that was a problem for me. And then when the Russian intelligence um, entity gave that opposition file to Trump, I mean, it was on the one hand you want to say, yeah, that's an obvious stupid thing. That that's where that file wound up, and that's why a number of websites made that file public. But it was literally a handover. And that really bothered me. Like, was that a favor to Paul Manafort, who had just taken over the Trump campaign? Is that what that meant? I mean, Donald has done business over in Eastern Europe. His children have done business over in, over in Eastern Europe. Manafort's done business over in Eastern Europe. Oh, by the way, guess who introduced Donald Trump to Paul Manafort? The one individual. No, yeah. no. You probably won't know this name, but anybody over 60 should know this name. Roy Cohn. Roy Cohn was not only uh, uh, worked for Joseph McCarthy during the McCarthy hearings, the McCarthy anti-American hearings. So who, who, Manafort knows Roy, knew Roy Cohn? Roy Cohn introduced Manafort to Donald Trump. You know what, guys? If you want to have some fun... Go on YouTube and just type in YouTube Roy Cohen or even just go anyplace <clears throat> and and you will see somebody who would be like the You don't know the, you don't know of the half of it. You don't I mean, even just know you are on the surface of Roy Cohen. Roy Cohen was one of are the Are you gonna worst- also get to Mike let me just round this are you gonna get to Mike Samak in this conversation? Oh Mike Samak. I'll okay, get to yeah, Mike yeah, Samak. Okay. Uh, Roy Cohn, I don't want to be late for John because he's only got an hour to spend with us. But the thing with Roy Cohn is that um, he worked for Joe McCarthy. He was the one who set up Ethel Rosenberg did not give the atomic bomb to the Soviet Union. Her husband was involved with the person who did give the bomb, but Ethel Rosenberg was a sacrifice by Roy Cohen trying to prove that, yes, even the Jews could be bad people too. That's why he sacrificed uh, uh, the Rosenbergs to, um, for, uh, for the FBI. But Roy Cohen worked for the mob. He was a mob lawyer. Roy Cohen gave this one famous quote, which, by the way, along with a famous you're, quote from – You're positive um, about this, right? I'm positive about this. Uh, I studied Roy Cohn because how did I know, know Roy Cohn? Who was the person who brought me into the Roy Cohn orbit? Hmm. Dare I mention his name? Mike Milan. Mike Milan, Mr. Mike, Mike the Enforcer, the book The Squad. Folks should buy that. Um, I don't think it's out anymore. Maybe we should do the electronic version. In, in any event – it was Roy Cohn, mob lawyer, worked for Frank Costello and other people. So when you see – and then, of course, you remember all the stories of Fred Trump's and Donald Trump's associations back in the 80s with certain notorious figures. So to my mind – and you can attack me all you want to – this is literally – 
the Manchurian candidate controlled in yeah. league in bed with yeah. the Russians in bed with yeah. Putin. And, no, I, I just and, think I think I think you're actually all you guys are actually right. Everybody does it. When you get to the height of power, when you get to the top, you have been making deals your whole life behind the scenes. That's the whole point of well, being on the Well, um, I don't I, I don't I, think I, it's I, I, I think this is I think this is totally different. I think <clears throat> like by the way, we know how much Don likes to make a deal. Yeah, by the way, Tom in the chat room says Obama's going to declare martial law and take over. No, Tom is not. He's no, not. Tom, that's not yeah, going to happen. But, but here's by the way, they Tom, always say that, but they never oh, do by that. The way, uh, by the way, you cannot declare martial law by yourself. If you're going to declare martial law, there are certain circumstances, because since it's extra constitutional, there are only certain, certain circumstances that allow you to do that. The closest, by the way, that we came to that was, was right after 9-11 when the FAA grounded all planes. That was the closest we have yep. come um, since World War II to um, a state of martial let me, law. Let me tell the chat, who seems shocked and horrified that I would actually – I'm crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been a Democrat for a really long time, and I'm really thrilled with Hillary Clinton. I really am. And, and if she picks Elizabeth Warren, I'm going to be over the moon. It, there really are people like me. Maybe not in this genre. We're in the UFO field and the – uh, conspiracy field, so it's way more people who are leaning libertarian. And I have very extreme um, political theories, but I happen to have – okay, I was there for every moment of Hillary Clinton from the very beginning, and she's never done anything that's rubbed me the wrong way, period. Uh, I've been there physically in those years, as the Onion said, our, our eight years of peace and prosperity are finally over. That's what, That was the headline when um, – when Bush was when came in, people don't realize how much damage. Let's get to this yeah, okay, on so the other yeah, side. So, it, so, uh, anyway, so what I, we have to do right now is because we only have an hour with John yes, Alexander. He's yes. extraordinarily busy. He's been very kind enough. Don't send hate mail, please. No, no, no. I beg you. Uh, John was kind enough uh, to. Um, he he had just come back from a trip. Literally just getting okay, in. Well, let's get him on. Let's made us on. an hour, and he's got to leave in an hour. Okay. So. Uh, everybody, we are your co-hosts, Bill. That's me and Nancy Burns. We are broadcasting on our show, Future Theater Live, on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Radio Network. And we will be back after these messages with our guest, Colonel John Alexander, uh, United States Army retired, John Alexander, Ph.D., mainly to talk about, and I think, have you linked his Huffington Post to? Okay. Um, uh, John yes. had, uh, John wrote a post for the Huffington Post about the Orlando massacre. So he and I are going to talk about that tonight with Nancy. So stick with us, and we're back after these messages on Future Theater. Let's get John Alexander. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Have you heard Mac Maloney lately? In your military career, did you ever see anything that came close to an unusual UFO sighting or? Uh, no. Holy <laughs> 
That was the yeah. ten seconds of uh, no. What are you? That tra- was so convincing. Yeah, what are you trying to say up. there? Well, UFO is an innocuous term. That's the worst fucking denial I've ever heard. And I don't know if flying Mac Maloney's Military X Files Friday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern on the Public Streaming Radio Network. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes, that George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban fella. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. And we are back with our special guest tonight, Colonel John Alexander, United States Army, retired. Um, Dr. John Alexander um, wrote uh, an, a very, very insightful post um, on uh, the Huffington Post about the Orlando shooting. And uh, I just wanted to ask him how he arrived at those conclusions. The thing that was so fascinating was that he cut through a lot of the the, the kind of commentary fog that you get from some of these cable channels to point to some very, very salient facts that a lot of the commentators have been overlooking because they're pushed back and forth by the politics of mass murder. Thank you for joining us, Colonel. We really appreciate it. Good evening. Glad to be here. So um, when you approach, I mean, what were some of your thoughts as you approached the uh, the whole subject of watching the media and the politicians and 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 all the the paraphernalia that was erected around the whole Orlando story. Well, of course, Orlando is just uh, the most almost most recent uh, incident that's happened. I had actually thought about some of this before and 
piled on to that. And in my view is that we have the whole concept of ISIS wrong in, in general, that uh, we keep trying to make ISIS a thing uh, because we know how to deal with things. But the problem is, that in, in my view, is that ISIS is a concept, and you can't deal with a concept the way you deal with a thing. I also say that if uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda were totally wiped off the face of the earth today, something else would appear tomorrow. So we keep getting, you know, focused. Uh, I think uh, pilots would call it target fixation, uh, but uh, I don't think we understand the bigger issues. Well, well, John, hi, it's Nancy. Um, when Donald Trump says that we should fight ISIS as viciously as they are fighting us, what do you think about that kind of a concept? I don't think we should fight ISIS. Uh, more than a year ago, I published another piece in the uh, Huffington Post that said, here's how you defeat ISIS without the U.S. involvement. Uh, frankly, us being involved, and, and the more we get integrated, the, the more it uh, supports their um, recruiting efforts. So, uh, the, you know, this is in that area primarily an Islamic issue. There are plenty of militaries in the area, many of which we have armed and trained and would have adequate uh, resources to go ahead and take care of this problem itself well one of the points you uh, one of the points you raised and I think this is the point that a lot of people really um, minimize to the point of almost non-existence that Isis really isn't about us that the much deeper conflict is the fact that when the British and the French got through with their colonization of the Middle East and after the war against Turkey in the very early part of the 20th century, they they redrew a map politically that didn't stand up to the religious divisions that marked the Middle East. I mean, they created countries out of that fabric that well, were artificial. You know, that was, uh, you know, the, the end at the end of World War One when they went in and you know it's not just the Middle East and prior to that they had done the same thing throughout all of Africa and the problem was that they created countries that were for the benefit of the Europeans in general and did not take into account uh, it's not just religion but certainly all the social issues uh, throughout the Middle East and. Uh, you know, Southwest Asia, we have the same thing in Afghanistan. I've, I've said to many Afghans, this is, Afghanistan, for instance, has no reason to exist as a country, and that we continue to prop it up. Had you taken um, eastern Afghanistan and western Pakistan and made a Pashtunistan, maybe that would make sense. But... Uh, yeah, the, we are suffering from things that happened a century ago, no doubt. Yeah, and and the thing is that that because we think in cycles of every four years, you know, it's it's almost like a television series, like an hour long dramatic, uh, like an hour long detective show, where no matter what the crime, the cops have to solve the crime by 
by the last act. And we suffer from that mentality, I think, where we're looking for a solution that we can bundle in. So for a president like an Obama or like a Bush or or any president, you're going to look in terms of election cycles as opposed to any other cycle. So as a result, you're going to try to force conclusions that won't work. It was like the status of forces agreement that we reached with the Iraqis at the end of George Bush's term in office no, to no, remove them. No, 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 no. We did not. Come oh, we to did not. That. I so thought we did. That was the problem, and uh, so we were on Bush's schedule to get out. And one of the reasons they did not come to a uh, status of forces agreement is the Iraqis did not want us in the country any longer. Right. Exactly. That's uh, that was the point. So we just couldn't have stayed there and fought. We had to get out. So, right. I mean, but what we're thinking of is in terms of four year cycles. Um, I'm sure ISIS is not thinking in four year cycles. Well, let oh, me no. let, let me interject this. The second half of your headline here on The Huffington Post, I hope is I, I believe is accurate. Um, and, and here's the whole uh, title, the the. Um, title orlando not foreign fighters or homegrown terrorists just a radical islamic terrorist and that's um a lot of people there's two sides to this coin here uh the left feels they shouldn't say radical islamic terrorist too much because it it i guess upsets muslims themselves who are the only hope to stop stop this but aren't you saying that this is a much bigger broader problem than just something called al-Qaeda, or something called ISIS? Yeah, well, that's, that was my original point, that we, we try to make it a thing when it's a concept. Concepts can be spread specifically through information technology, which makes it really easier. Uh, you can now be, they call it radicalized, I'm not sure that's the best term for it, but uh, certainly the people are picking up on uh, supporting various organizations, uh, getting the training necessary, and the implementation, uh, particularly with our Second Amendment and nukes for everybody uh, approach, you know, the, the weapon systems are available here. Mm-hmm. And you do not have to have a hierarchical organization to make that happen. Uh, you know, you can information can get out there, and what they call the lone wolf—not uh, so much lone because they are linked by ideology. By ideology, they also believe that they're they're doing this to in order to get a leg up in heaven. Basically, they're going to—it's um, it, still a kind of a um, self-serving thing because they believe they're going to have a life, you know, uh, an afterlife of perfection because of this. And well, how do you that get... is the uh, 72 virgins and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Uh, two of the critical shortcomings with ISIS, though, one is they did want to establish a caliphate, and in order to do that, you've got to hold some territory someplace. But the other problem in fighting them is that they have an apocalyptic uh, vision. Exactly. So destroying them is anticipated and plays into their uh, game plan. Right, and that's the whole point. And I'm 
down, we're veering over into this, but that's the whole point of suicidal mass murder, that a suicidal mass murderer, whether it's an Elliot Roger up in Santa Barbara, whether it's Omar Mateen down in Orlando, is that a suicide bomber sees himself, I'll say himself, at an apocalyptic moment. You picked exactly the right word, that... The person does not expect to live. In fact, the person doesn't want to live. Well, but, but with ISIS, more dramatically, is institutionally they do not expect to survive. They, they expect to be nearly totally decimated and bring about uh, Armageddon, the end times. It's right. That's the whole. Uh, uh, that's the whole. Um, uh, the twelfth Imam, uh, which is what. Um, 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 Abdinjad uh, uh, believed um, when he was president of Iran that they're waiting for this moment of the apocalypse. They will bring it about if they can do that. They will engulf the whole world in war because that's going to bring the new kingdom. And so that's what we are fighting. Yeah, but I, I would remind folks that that this is a very dramatic application we do have Christians uh, who do think that uh, bringing about uh, Armageddon would be a good thing as well. Not nearly as many, but uh, or acting out. Well, do you think do you think that the prepper movement has a lot of this kind of thinking in it? Also, you know, you're preparing, and you sort of kind of wish something kind of would happen, so you're not the fool, so that you're the prepared one. Oh, can't say. But in this area, one of the things we have mentioned is that, or have not mentioned, is that um, the current problems go back to the uh, neocon decision to invade Iraq. That was the greatest strategic blunder the United States has ever made. And as far as uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS is concerned, we basically created them. That's true. That's absolutely true. You know, when, when you mentioned uh, a little while ago about it's not only ISIS that has this apocalyptic vision of the end of the world, uh, I was reminded of a former Secretary of the Interior, James Watt. I think he was in the Reagan administration when he was asked about the use of public lands that, that, he, uh, uh, that um, private companies were exploiting, he, he, he actually said in public, what does it matter? When the rapture comes, uh, we're all going to be wiped away anyway, so it doesn't really matter, does it? And people it, were shocked at that thinking. some interesting policy. It certainly, it certainly drove policy there. Um, but I, I, I want to get back. So how much do you think, in the case of an Omar Mateen, we now know more about his childhood um, and the events leading up to the um, Pulse nightclub shooting, um, what do you think about the issue of mental illness when it comes to um, people who are most susceptible to the message they're getting about ISIS and the apocalypse? Well, what we do know is that I think the numbers around, was it 2 to 3% of the people would be uh, considered literally mentally ill, manic depressive uh, by uh, DMS uh, standards. 
Um, yeah, don't. It's really hard to say, but here's somebody who had been brought up in that tradition. Uh, I've had many debates, by the way, since you brought that up, about people who want to ban uh, all Muslims from coming to the United States, and you point out that in both of the cases you point out, Orlando and uh, uh, San Bernardino, that, hey, you know, these were Americans. They were second generation, gone to school, raised in our system, and still revolted. So Yes. Well, I, I mean, there are a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, one, in the case of, um, let's just stick with Mateen for a second. From the time he was a kid, from the time he was a in school, he was um, antisocial. He was getting into fights. He was expressing all kinds of malaise and violence, and he perpetrated violence on his first wife. He he kind of entrapped his second wife into traveling with him to buy weapons. Uh, he had made unbelievable threats about um the united states and 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 actually had articulated those threats to people um at the security company where he worked which was the company that bought the old wacken hut company so uh that was that was that astounded me that but then i understand why but it astounded me that he'd been through this his entire life and was interviewed on he came to the attention of the FBI on on two separate occasions, and this was a disaster waiting to happen. That was my theory about this. Well, if, um, uh, the answer is yes, but uh, does that mean that everybody who is antisocial becomes suspect? Um, <laughs> Uh, we, we do okay. have a, a problem. And one of the issues that uh, is still emerging, in fact, you sent me an article today mentioning, you know, the legal issues. Mm. And we decided, you know, in my view, I don't know how you have a war on terror and treat it as a crime uh, simultaneously because standards of proof and, you know, execution, actions you can take just very considerably differently under those different scenarios. That's right. And and are we, I'm not saying we're victims, but ISIS is something so fundamentally antithetical to our own system, not just of government, but our own belief system of um, how we should be um, socially structured among one another, that our views of freedom, for example, for example, um, ISIS and its sympathizers and its fellow travelers and its lone wolves are free to go on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and basically spew out their messages. And Belgab. And Belgab. We have no methodology. I mean, basically, the Supreme Court has said that prior restrictions on the content of speech 
really have to meet the strictest of standards. In other words, the government has a compelling substantial interest in in uh, banning that speech. Uh, and so here's a case. Where do you draw the line? This was an article that uh, I'll probably send you. What about cultural opprobrium? I think is how you pronounce well, it. Well, yeah, but the, yeah, but opprobrium is not going to matter. What matters is where is the line between free speech and immediately incitement speech? Was the speech that um, uh, a Siddiqui Farouk was reading? Uh, before he perpetrated the San Bernardino crimes, would that be considered incitement speech? If such, then it is criminally liable. Or was it simply basic free speech, freedom of assembly, um, even though it's antithetical to the United States? That's one of the problems we're dealing with in trying to control the social media outreach of an organization like ISIS. Part of the problem of new technology that's available, again, information technology, was uh, when we wrote the First Amendment. But I think how information might be spread. But the court has always come down pretty strongly in uh, uh, supporting a freedom of speech. And as you're pointing out, you know, they're making restrictions. Uh, extremely difficult to enforce, and that's probably accurate. Well, I was thinking, perhaps, that the craziness of social media the way it is, is also going to contain the seeds for our survival. And again, I bring up this Belgab problem. Um, this is a little forum I'm on. It's, it's for radio enthusiasts, basically, of this type of radio show. And it was started uh, and based around Art Bell. Um, but what's interesting is it's always been an extremely free speech zone in which you kind of say anything. And the beauty of that, and I'm hoping it holds and will work tonight or, or in the next few days on Belgab, when people come in and say horrific things, uh, there was no Holocaust and Jews should be nuked or gotten rid of or, you know, whatever they right. say. Um, I'm hoping that the idiocy is sort of dr they drown in their a they're ignored and b they are mocked and made fun of by very witty people i'm hoping that will solve it cultural opprobrium basically i've got to learn how to pronounce that word look it up there might i think i'm missing a whole syllable but what it means is cultural shaming okay in other words you just you besides not um yelling fire you also don't get up in a movie theater and yell racist slurs because you actually might get punched out but you just don't do it it's just not done and that's kind of what i'm hoping and and isis is the epitome of it's not done you just don't do it and and so how you deal with it i hope is by the culture itself kind of nudges that behavior and says you won't have any fun if you do that you know yeah, but, oh as you know i mean one of the components of a crime has to be uh, the um uh, jurisdiction and the problem you have with information technology is establishing where this took place. I mean, you can whatever we're talking on now. The server could be literally any place in the world. Is it where the server is? Is it where we're speaking from? Is it the point uh, where the information's received? Well, people can manage to triangulate other people. Um, in other words. Um, Here's an interesting, just we'll take kind of a moment of an aside. This is a lighthearted thing, but someone um, 
was talking about the difficulty of trying to get really good answers from programmers. If you go to a programming site and try to get answers to a problem, oftentimes they're very snobby and they will just make you want to weep. Like, go to Google and you should know better than this. And somebody tricked the um, snobbiness of this cultural phenomenon by figuring out that you create uh, two, two accounts, one that's you and one that's your fake sock puppet account. And you go on there and you ask your question and then the second you comes in and gives the wrong answer because it's a known fact that the snobby ones, the know-it-alls, cannot stop um, themselves if there's a wrong information out there. And then you'll get the right answer. It'll so be you're tricking the, the right answer. Exactly, but you're tricking um, the tendencies of a certain social Well, group. you're gaming a system you're is what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, what you're doing. Uh, one of the aspects of how to figure out where messages are coming and who's expected to receive them is um, what the federal government has done is basically said, look, if something is being transported over telephone wires from one state to another, as we're doing right now, then it's federal. Then anything that then it's part of interstate commerce and uh, it is regulated by um, – Federal jurisdiction, and um, so that is the jurisdiction that a lot of the stuff falls And our hearty political under. conversation was just in fun, listeners and super listeners. We meant nothing by it. But I want to get back to Orlando for a second because um, here's a case where Mateen exhibited. If there are um, hallmarks or warning signs or danger signs, um, Dr. Phil, who – is not the greatest psychiatrist in the world, but I mean, he says what he says. Once said on an Oprah Winfrey show, when somebody tells you exactly what they're going to do, then you should believe that person because they're going to do exactly what they tell you they're going to do. And that's the case with someone like Omar Mateen. He basically gave off warning signs from the time he was a child that this was a person who loved to perpetrate violence. And at a time when um, he should have grown out of that phase, he was beating up his first wife who had to be forcibly removed from the home to save her life. Um, he basically told his father what he was going to do, what he wanted to do about um, homosexuality. So he he basically gave off everything and, of course, to his co-workers um, at the security company where he worked. He basically gave off Almost every single warning sign, including a fascination with guns, which isn't really a warning sign, but it is – it means he will have the instrumentality to do what he's promising he will do. He, he basically gave up all these warning signs and yet nobody thought each individual warning sign was great enough to basically pull the chain and get this guy some intervention. It never happened, not even from his own father. And this has been the case in every single mass shooter that we've encountered, certainly since Cho Sung Hui at Virginia Tech in 2011, but probably well before that too with, um, I mean, Charles Whitman in the Texas University Tower back in 1966 was running around complaining to everybody that he had something wrong with his brain. He had a something that was making him violent. And until he, until the autopsy, when they found the tumor on his brain that was pressing, um, nobody believed him. 
Same happened with this guy in uh, in uh, Florida, Bobby Joe Long. Um, had a motorcycle accident. Woke up in the hospital days after the uh, uh, the accident. Knew something was wrong with his brain. Went from a guy who was just a basic drinker to a serial killer. Was executed in Florida uh, about fifteen years ago. But um, with the drugs like Chantex, something like that, where the um, the things at the end of the commercial to talk about this could give you suicidal thoughts. Could that be uh, also suicide by cop? And basically, you, you want suicide is suicide, suicide. Whether it's suicide by cop or whether it's anything, it's a suicide when you when you set into motion events that will kill you. And you know it, and you're doing it willingly, and you're doing it with with full intentionality. That's a suicide, and so that's what I think Mateen was about. And but he was not going to go out alone. His enemy were the people in the Pulse nightclub, and that whether that was a religious issue or whether that was simply um, he was projecting because he had homosexual tendencies we don't know but i think those are part of the matrix i i think those are part of the mix and i think they define uh, uh the murder so i mean i mean john what do you think about the fact that um in your opinion do you think that if you look at like the life of someone like omar mateen his violence as a child his constant run-ins with the law his violence with his wife all that leading up to telling his father what he thought about homosexuals and his possible appearance at the Pulse nightclub in looking for dates. We don't know if that's true or not. It was eyewitness testimony. Do you think that ISIS was just handy for him or do you think he actually managed to conflate the two into some kind of a delusion? Uh, I, uh, I think ISIS was a con- in this particular case a convenient excuse and something he'd heard a lot about and ISIS was certainly willing to accept responsibility and affiliation but I think uh, the actual affiliation was totally uh, contrived in his mind. I think so too. I totally agree with you. Uh, What do you think about the fact, you know, I'm so fascinated by this uh, I could. I am going to send you this one article that I read today. It was from the Atlantic about because I think it applies, but I'm not going to go into it too much. I figure you can read it, and you will certainly have your own opinions. But it is that the machinery. I mean, you've spent your life in the army. You have spent your life in bureaucratic institutions, and so you're probably the best person to talk about this. That. There is a sense, this is what this one article was saying, that the machinery that the institutional machinery that keeps the functioning of society working, even if it promotes inequality, even if it promotes insiders as opposed to outsiders, even if people may feel that they're uh, that they have no input into the system but really are dragged along by it. Even in those circumstances, it does keep society together. That's the basis of this article that I'm going to send you. And that we're in a phase now where those very institutions, I'm thinking politically, like the Republican Party, like the Democratic Party, like 
things like that, they're under attack from the outside. And the very things that kept them in, in place are falling apart and uh, uh, willfully. And so... Well, Angel keeps saying he wants to vote for Trump just to see the world Right, burn. that's, yeah. So we have somebody here and saying, I, I, I'm going to vote for I, Trump just because I, I want the whole that. system to collapse. And you're saying to too. yourself, but it's that system that's kept us alive. I mean, th- and, and so, I mean, uh, that's what this article is saying. So it's looking at some of these mass murder events and saying, and saying that, yes, this is a new phenomenon because one, you're seeing people like um, the people in Bangladesh, for example. These were all privileged, upper middle class, diplomatic class, private school class kids. I mean, they were in young men who perpetrated these crimes. What did they have to gain by and these were ISIS commandos. What could they possibly have to gain by going to ISIS? Well, remember one of the famous attacks in the UK where they went after a airport? Those were by doctors. Yes. <laughs> you point those out. Uh, of course, remember Che Guevara was an MD as well. Oh, ho, ho. I spoke to I spoke to the person who was the last person to see Che Guevara alive, um, uh, Felix Rodriguez, who basically was the one who delivered the news to Guevara that um, he'd been sentenced to death. In fact, what he said was that he took the ring off Guevara's finger and getting who, it back who to Castro. Him? What? Who sentenced him to death? Um, when uh, he was, I think it was the Venezuelans when um, his group was captured by the Venezuelans, and um, uh, Rod, uh, and Felix was there. He, yeah, you met yeah, Felix. Bolivia. Yeah. Oh, it was Bolivia. Okay. Yeah, I've I've met some shady characters. <laughs> I think um, John, I believe your wife has probably met some shady characters as well in the course of doing business or getting stories together. Well. Getting back to where Bill started on this, uh, there's actually another article that you may have received they called uh, The Day Democracy Died. Uh, that happened to be uh, 21 January 2010. Mm-hmm. But uh said the real basic problem, and I think leading to all the things that we're discussing here, is a loss of confidence in the macro systems that have been sort of holding everything together. But uh, we no longer have, you know, confidence in any of the branches of government. Uh, even the uh, Supreme Court is down below 30% confidence uh, level. Um, it's equally true for big businesses, for the media. Uh, certainly Congress and that. So you you have uh, a fundamental distrust of the central institutions that ought to be holding all of these things together. That's right. And so and so you wonder, I mean, I wonder what what is causing that erosion of confidence in the way things work? I mean, is it when things seem to be working pretty well? Right. I mean, I seriously, mean, if you don't if you don't listen to the news and don't even listen to the weather reports and just kind of walk outside or talk to people or look at reality, things seem pretty okay. 
And I don't mean that. I mean, you, John, would you've been to many, many, many other countries, but don't you think that our 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 media is just whipping people into a froth of worry? Well, we've known for a long time if it bleeds, it leads. Sure. The other problem you have with the media, it's uh, better to be first than right. <laughs> so That's true. You can always correct a story later. And by the way, it was Bolivia, not... It is Bolivia, Jones. Yeah, it was Bolivia. Bolivia I was yeah. wrong. Yeah. Bolivian. Yeah, I had uh, friends who were involved in that. Uh, I can, yes. team on the ground there that uh, caught him. Right, right. I mean, one of the things that fascinated me was um, one of Felix Rodriguez's theories about Che Guevara was that he was present, he was uh, presenting such a challenge to Fidel Castro uh, in terms of capturing the limelight. I mean, he was the Elizabeth Warren to Fidel Castro's Hillary Clinton that. Um, Fidel Castro actually helped set him up. I mean, that was Felix Rodriguez's theory about why he was captured in Bolivia. But well, it, um, just just as an aside, um, when I was putting the page together, I I couldn't resist. There's so many good pictures to choose from, John, but I chose a picture of you and a shaman, and I wondered if you could fill us in a little on what went on behind that picture. This is in Ecuador. 2009. Oh, boy, this is a huge ship. Where are we going with this? Well, I just wanted to know a little more about the photo that I put up here. Um, and because I, th I think it shows kind of where you're coming from, because you've had experiences with actual shamans. You have traveled the world looking for unusual things. Like, right. yeah. And I just wondered what, uh, what was, um, did you partake in any um, ceremonies in in Ecuador back in the day? Well, uh, I've been at shamans all over the world. Uh, we have been in Ecuador, done much more in Peru uh, and uh, Brazil. Uh, now, I'm the observer. Victoria is the one who right. substance involved in ayahuasca. Um Supposedly, the psychoactive substance is uh, DMT or DMT. Right, DMT, yeah. Um, and I, after a lot of observation, think that uh, a simple psychochemical reaction does not explain the kinds of things that we uh, see. Mm. Um, Rick Strassman, uh, who... Uh. Uh, is one who actually got to uh, experiment uh, with that. Um, let's see if I can. Yeah, his book is DMT, the Spirit Molecule. Hmm? His book is called DMT, the Spirit Molecule. Right. He, and he wrote, yeah. that, wrote yeah. that book. And um, uh, in there, there's a fantastic quote that I may be able to. Yes, I'm, I'm just wondering what a shaman would say to this conversation. How do we? We're talking about almost. We're almost talking about uh, evil that you can almost touch. It feels so evil. How do you root it out of uh, a person's heart that would make 
would make you go against all human training, which is to live and let live, basically, to, you know, to thrive. Humans are happiest when they're not full of hate. And I wondered. One of my interesting experiences was down in Peru, uh, in this Amazonian region, uh, way out in the boonies. And there were some people, uh, the cooks were making food. Now, we had no electricity whatsoever. And uh, basically, these folks look up to dirt. And I'm standing there staring at them. And they came over and pushed my cheeks up like, smile, smile. I was just kind of looking there. And uh, as I said, these folks look up to dirt and are probably happier than (laughs) most people in the U.S. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, anthropologists have studied for a long, long time uh, how tribes handle conflict, and there's all kinds of interesting ways to soothe the human spirit. But basically, the young men and young women who are turning against our culture and saying, we want to just blow a bunch of people up because we know we'll die, but we hope you'll talk about this a little, I guess they're saying. Or, as you said, it could be way more dire that they really want to start the end of the world. But just like with any other bullies, any other uh, – this is the age-old problem. Do you ignore them? Do you fence them in? Or do you nuke them, as Chris keeps asking here in, in the chat? Do you well, nuke them? You can't really fence them in uh, without changing the rules considerably. Um, by the way, the quote that I want to put in, this is from Strassman uh, after studying it. He says uh, – we enter into invisible realms, ones we can not normally sense and whose presence we can scarcely imagine. Even more surprising, these realms seem to be inhabited, um, mm-hmm. meaning there are other forms of uh, you know, life forms and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think there are correlations here. I um, mm-hmm. do a lot of work in Brazil. And I think, getting back to the fundamental issue, one of the problems we have is the fundamental belief system and a materialist view. Uh, what we found in working in all of those countries, and even with highly educated people, um, they take a, a belief in a spirit world uh, to be just as real as the physical world as we know it. And in the West, we look at as them as separate and distinct, whereas with the shamans, they move seamlessly back and forth. Now, how you respond if your fundamental belief is in a physical world is really quite different from the way you might uh, respond when, if you have a belief in a spiritual organization. Now, what you're seeing with ISIS is a spiritual organizational form is really quite negative, but nonetheless that they function based on. Right, and so one of the questions, uh, uh, given the quest that you've been on, is one of the questions that I have for you is because you were in a very highly regimented, I mean, by definition, hierarchical system based on materialism. How do you reconcile a world of materialism, I mean, in your own mind, with a world of spiritualism? With 
great difficulty. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, a problem, and this is where, uh, like I was talking on this over the weekend, and one of the things is that here, if you look at the, the uh, Large Hadron Collider, internationally we've put about $18 billion into that, and that's looking for the God particle, which we thought was the Higgs boson, and then more recently came up with petaquarks. And we keep saying if we cut it smaller and smaller and smaller, you know, eventually we will come to something. And we tend to not consider the impact of consciousness uh, in those things or the potential for multidimensional realities. So, so then um, I know Jack Sarfati talks about retro causality. So, um, and what does he mean by that? Well, he means that the future. It's kind of like the Heisenberg uncertainty theory. It's the future really controls the past. So if you think you're going to find a wave, then what you're looking at is a wave. If you think you're going to find a particle, then it's actually a particle. It can be either one, depending upon what your um, what you believe will be there. That is the future controlling the past. Yeah, it's like so building a dream board. Well, that's the question that I uh, that I have here is that as I read the article about the Large Hadron Collider and, and, and finding brand new particles. Does it mean that, in your estimation, Colonel, that th we can actually go all the way down to an infinitely small particle? Or do you think we will eventually come to a basic subatomic particle that literally that is the building block? No, I, I I come down against that. I come down much more in favor of a uh, that there are again multidimensional realities, and that human consciousness is one of the mediating factors. Um, one of my points in uh, talking about the um, Hadron Collider is based on that belief system. We spent huge amounts of money. Uh, however, if I look at its areas like uh, evidence of continuation of consciousness beyond death, um, I mean, the amount of research that goes into that is minuscule. Absolutely. I mean, you obviously have the Moody's and you have all the um, writers talking about childhood ex uh, near-death experiences. It's funny and you also have Paul Smith. Um, I put a second photo up of John reading Paul Smith's book, Reading the Enemy's Mind. Ah, of course. There's viewing. Paul Smith. Right. Yeah. Um, I finished a manuscript. It's coming out next May. It's on Thomas Edison's last invention. In the late teens, early 1920s, Edison and uh, Nikola Tesla were both in a race. Both of them believed, just as you, exactly what you said just now, that human consciousness does exist after death, that there is another spiritual realm. But they each had different definitions. I'll, I'll send you something when I get an edited galley back. Um, they, they have different perceptions of this. Uh, Tesla believed that because radio waves are eternal, 
we know that's true, that waves are eternal, because one just crossed the planet from 1.3 billion years ago, but uh, or billion light years ago, but um, they are eternal. And Edison believed that it's not waves that's the important thing. It is, these are particles. He called them life units. We call them quanta or other subatomic particles, but he believed that they're the eternal. So, I mean, one of the things Edison tried to do, and this kind of fits into what you've been talking about, is the way he tried to resolve the materialism versus spiritualism was almost like um, a predicative statement saying that there are particles that are too small to see, that it's a reality that we can't perceive with our five senses or even with a microscope that defines the materialistic nature of spiritualism. So really everything can be defined as materialism, only we can't see it. And as such, he was a product of the early 20th century of Freud and Jung and Planck and Einstein and Heisenberg and, 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 and people like that. So it's funny that that's, that's exactly what Edison it. was talking about. Yeah. He was um, he actually tried to construct a device that would see some of those small subatomic particles. Didn't work, but he tried to do it. I can say we spend lots and lots of money looking at it, and I point out that these various phenomena, uh, from uh, UFOs to poltergeist to cryptozoology, uh, continuation of consciousness, etc., so we've got uh, uh, situations that are at least as complex as AIDS or cancer, and you look at the amounts of money we put in that, but in all of these, when basically continuation of consciousness is or should be of interest to 100% of the population. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. And why do you think that's not the case? But the research into it, like I say, well, almost I did, I think... non-existent. Well, that's true. And, and although the Rhines and people like that religion. try to do this religion research, but why do you think that. there's a prejudice against because this? Because of religion. Religion dampens it down. Religion tells you from the time you can hear them, here's what heaven looks like. And it, it's a cut and dried way of keeping you from ever wondering. Well, just simply look it in, up in the book. Well, well, what do you think? Uh, uh, do you think that because America is a puritanical country that we wouldn't spend any money on this, or do you think that there's another reason for this? Well, there's several things. Um, the competition for funding is certainly one of them, and this gets back to your belief system. If you believe in a materialistic world, then uh, you know how you're going to go about research is in one vein. If you're thinking of it in another, uh, as other countries do, I, I point out the... Uh, the pure materialistic view is not universally held. Uh, and so you have other countries, but they, at this point, do not have uh, the resources to really expend a lot of uh, fun. You do have, uh, Nancy just pointed out, the some of the issues on religion where, you know, it is a control factor, if you will. Um one of the things uh, I do lecture on is both with shaman and 
near-death experience and that. But a lot of religions come down against those experiences because what they want to do is to maintain control. They do not want people to have direct experience. Right. You know, they, right. Well, that's able to the, make yeah. up their mind for themselves based on these, you know, things that uh, happen that are right. unbelief. They would rather, you know, continue to be the the mediators. Right. Uh, one of the in the. Um... In the in the Renaissance, uh, during the Renaissance, one of the arguments that the um, reformers during the Reformation, one of the arguments that the reformers gave, um, is that each individual, men, because obviously this was then in the fifteenth in in the sixteenth century, well, women didn't have fifteenth and sixteenth century, right? But what they said was that um, there should be a priesthood of all believers. In other words, the uh, uh, the Reformation arguing that the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church was stultifying said that really you, uh, you don't need a priestly um, intervener between you and your creator. You are the priest if you are a believer. And that was a very, very popular Belief, mm, say, 1475, 1485, 1500, uh, which gradually faded away as the Protestant religions became institutionalized in the 16th century. So, I mean, but you're right. That was a very, very early argument uh, 500 years ago, and um, it's still going on today. Well, it was interesting. A few years ago, I was at a SSE meeting. We happened to be a meeting at Cornell, uh, so they invited Carl Sagan, who came in. And one of his comments was, look, it, it's okay for people like us. I mean, most of the people there, you know, had doctorates, highly educated. Uh, he says, it's all right for us to be talking about these, but we can't allow the public to think about it. Right. Why did he say that? Oh, because in his view, they didn't have the critical thinking skills necessary to understand the implications. Uh, and again, it, it, this, this would be the analogous to uh, the church uh, wanting to control information. In this case, it was the priests of science who want to control information. I was just going to just going to um, talk about the priest of science. I think the reason that so many of us who were brought up with science as a second religion, if if not first, we we're the ones who want to find out what the Rhine Institute knows because we're the ones who really want to put a scientific face on the belief that you sort of, you know, if you're a religious person, you have a very strong belief, but those of us brought up in science really want to tie the two together and have a uh, not only a belief but a certainty. A yeah, certainty. But, well, what they tend to do is accept data that, that fits the uh, existing paradigms and data that lie out uh, tend to get ignored. Right. And I'm going to have to leave. That's uh, right. It's uh, it's 11, it's 8.30 your time. So um, I, I want to thank you. you. You're right. You have a hard out. Okay, so, thank 
you. Yeah, so, okay, thank you very much um, for joining us, uh, Colonel Alexander. Thank you, John. Uh, happy Fourth of July, what remains uh, in it. And um, I, will, I will send you uh, some of the articles that I read because I think they comport with some of the stuff you've been writing, so you should enjoy it. Um, appreciate it. Okay, thank you, John. And we are going to take a break. It is the bottom of the hour. So we're going to take a break and come back for open lines. Anybody with comments um, screaming at me, um, call back in a couple of minutes. Uh, we are your co-host, Bill Gets Me and Nancy Burns on Future Theater Live. It is the bottom of the hour. Stay tuned for the last half hour in open lines. We're back after this. Four thousand seven hundred and thirty-four UFO sightings in two thousand seven. Eight hundred and fifty-four abductions by aliens or unknown species reported by American and British citizens. Hundreds more unreported in 2007. Suppressed information about collisions with passenger aircraft and UFOs that has been kept from the public knowledge for years. And only one trusted source of information from some of the top UFO researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. The UFOStore.com. Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and theufostore.com has it. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology preventative maintenance and networking support hardware and custom built computers let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget call key information solutions now 954 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com.
everybody. We're back. We're back on Future Theater Live on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. Uh, we are opening phone lines. So yeah, well, okay. So let me um, let me start the ball rolling by reiterating um, and talking about this thing that John Alexander was talking about that Angel I think completely mistook, and that was he wasn't saying. Wait, what? I don't, yeah, here's the thing. You were saying uh, when he was saying snap. Uh, what. Go ahead. Oh, when he Snap. was saying, um, I don't want to fight ISIS, what he meant was, I want to fight the thing behind ISIS, the Islamic radical terrorism. Yeah, but you got to take out ISIS first and then go no, after no, their no. backers. You, well, you here's to, the thing. You, have to, you, you can't just ignore one and go after the other. You have to go after all well, of them. No, he's not saying that. I, I think he's leaving. That's that kind of what he was. He was saying, that. forget ISIS, go after somebody. Look, you have to go no, after no, ISIS. Saying, you, have to get, you have to go after every single one of these institutions yeah, but, but that are popping up and spreading hate and right, murder. But, here, but here's what he means. And think about this for a little bit. You've, you've watched your share of super um, hero comics, and you've certainly probably seen yes, yes, a lot yes. of Eastern Eastern fighting movies, you know, Kung Fu and all that stuff. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Surely you know that you cannot fight fire with fire. You have to either – you have to find a way to kind of like – Put, put the, the fire, fire out. out well, here's it. the thing. Here's the thing, Nancy, and this is where we get into a big dilemma with the the people involved in these wars. We're fighting a war. If we are going to consider this a war with terror, a war on terror, a war with ISIS, a war with Islam, whatever you want to call it, we're fighting a war supposedly with people that blow themselves up for their greater good. So, how do you defeat that? There's, it, it's an impossible saying, fight. The, see, the, way you de- the way you defeat what, it is by taking on every single one of them full force and taking them all down at once. You don't just go for one cell or one you know, one part of this group. No, because they're just going to keep popping up yeah, left and right. You have to hit them of, hard, yeah, all of them. If the supply of young people dried up, it would be over. And you know how fickle young people are. Just get the young people to see what a sham and a fraud it is. Get the young people to do something else equally dramatic. <laughs> Equally yeah, but Nancy, great. Nancy, but the people that that are the young people that are manipulated by ISIS or manipulated right. by these religions are weak-minded individuals that are in no, places. No, hold on, hold on. Let me let me no, finish. No, hold on, let me finish. They're hold on, but let me let me finish my statement. They're weak-minded individuals in places where they're not able to survive normal lives as we see it. So they're bred to hate America. They're bred to hate the rest of the world. They're bred to hate anybody who's not like them. That is the major they're problem. They're bred to hate Jews and a lot of they're, places. Everybody, it's not just Jews. They're bred to hate Jews. everybody. Yeah. No, but I they're literally bred. I, I mean, I've, seen, I've seen the, the stuff. And but okay, so what is the solution? Oh, oh, mighty it's one! It's the Crusades. Yeah, what they're looking it is. at. Yeah, what they're looking at. Unfortunately, ISIS is looking at is the Ottoman Turkish Empire. You know what I think is a great solution? Mm-hmm. Just consider this. It's, this is a shower thought. If you go to Reddit, shower thought. The the thing we all want to do, Donald Trump included, is get back to when America was great. And in our minds, that was the 50s, the early 60s, when everybody's driving great cars. And if we simply got women to start acting like that again, if everybody acted like Gidget instead of oh, my Miley dream. Cyrus, the, um, the uh, haters oh, would be very turned on by the Gidget types. And they would be uh, yeah, sucked, but here's the thing. What, what's, sucked into our culture. But Nancy, that with all due respect, what's better, Gidget or Miley Cyrus? Jesus, Miley Cyrus is a horrible example for you today's okay, youth. Okay, let's just say that it's horrible Gidget. example. Okay, stop it, guys. An over-sexualized woman. I can, tell, I, can, I can point to billions of characters who are over-sexualized women. I just use Miley Cyrus as a very over-sexualized woman. But the point well, is... Well, modern, you mean. <laughs> say again? You mean a modern over-sexualized I'm talking about right now, little boys growing up, our little grandkids, 
um, girls are just in their face, at least on TV, with their breasts saying, come, you know, come and try this. Yes, yes. And, stuff. yes. and the thing about it is that's not the way really good girls are. And I think a lot of men miss that. I think they miss good girls, girls that have that leave a lot more for you to go after. So there's some right. thrill. Here's the, here's the thing. We, we've been dealing with this since the 80s. It has nothing to do with the women's rights movements or women getting all. empowered. It has to do with the over-sexualizing of women to become exactly. whores. Madonna yeah. started in the 80s. It uh, continues no, no, into the 90s. I don't know what it does. It does because material girl living in a material world. You're a whore, Madonna. That's what she was. Let's face yeah, it. She did about, movies about, and porn. She's a war, and, and all these and all these actors and actresses that follow her footsteps, like Britney Spears, Miley Cyrus's, all these other entertainers, are not only following her footsteps, they're also tainting and destroying the youth of America. Because exactly. these girls are growing up thinking, "Oh, I have to be a whore to be cool, like Madonna, like exactly. Miley Cyrus." Exactly. So that is the doing? fundamental problem with the with what? the way society is today with women, and that is a major problem. It, it's hurting so the youth of the world. I'm telling you, if we can bring back coy beautiful girls who who rip your heart out without ever unbuttoning their blouse we have something that we could lure all kinds of people into the great american way of life we we create Agreed. those kinds of girls like yes, for example let's exactly. talk tonight right now what's the woman what's the name of the woman who just died one of the greatest noel neal everybody noel. everybody over 60 oh, lois angel lane knows who has it is died too. Angel i know who it is. i was going to send noel superman neal. Yeah, yeah she was 95 years 95. old. Yeah. We need more Noel Neals. Uh, she passed away, really? Noel Neals passed away. She died today. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No kidding. Lois Lane, man. Wow. Five years old. She created the television role. She was in the 1940s semi animated, se- uh, uh, a semi animated uh, Superman. Um, when she was a young she kid, played other lots of other women in lots. Oh, of Oh, she was so. in the uh, she was in this great movie. Ah, oh, the Blue Dahlia. That's how the Black Dahlia got her name. Yep. Oh, yep, what's yep. the Blue Dahlia about? The Blue Dahlia was a it was a true it was a ah uh, my favorite L.A. Noir a L.A. Noir movie Blue Dahlia Nat King Cole sings the song. Ah, oh. oh, my God, I think Alan Ladd was in it. Angel will go look for it. Go look for it. Yeah. I'm fabulous. already downloading it. <laughs> oh, really? It's a no. fabulous movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. spooky. So sad to hear that she passed away. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah, so it P- is. P- it's P- very sad. P- and P- you know the thing is, yeah. there was a photo of her on one of the Hollywood websites. In her 90s, she had exactly the same expression she really? had when she was looking at Clark Kent like, you worm, when she was on the show. <laughs> Yeah, she was super great. Noel Neal. You uh, know that she's also the only actress uh, to appear in multiple versions of the Superman franchise. Absolutely. Yeah, Not only from the TV yes, shows, she was in Superman yeah. 78. Uh, oh, she right. was also in Superman Returns. 2006. Mm-hmm. Superman she Returns, was, yeah. She was, she was she's in been Supergirl. Multiple. She was in yep. a television show. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Well, I mean, she was she was one of amazing my lady. she was one of my absolute guiding stars because she was worked in a newspaper office. Many other women worked in newspaper offices in movies for sure. Um, um, fancy ones. I back in the day, thirties, forties. I can't think of them. Oh, right Rosalind off. Russell, exactly, the front page. Russell. Yeah, but I was the only female reporter in a room full of guys. I was eighteen, nineteen years old. Eighteen. Oh, oh my goodness, it was so strange, and so pounds. so hard, and so. But I was uh, inspired by 
you know, the super uh, right and Lo- Lois Lane, Lois Lane, yeah, Lois Lane. See that, that back in see, here's the thing back in the fifties and sixties. Yes, uh, you know things were a little bit different when it comes to the women's rights, but you had really good role models for girls. Absolutely. Role models that weren't whores, for example, yes. weren't whorish, whoring themselves yeah. out for money, like Madonna and, and what's come after her. And it really it started in the eighties. It really did in the seventies. Well, you didn't have that. Angel, I have to tell you, the hip hop culture do, did a lot of damage. Madonna, yeah, but Madonna's not hip hop, Nancy. No, not no, at all. Madonna but, is not no, hip hop. You cannot blame hip hop for this. No, no because hip-hop, no, hip hop does not have that kind of that. No, the hip hop. Fly girls. No, Madonna. The fly girls. The fly girls were a dance group on Living Color. That's nothing to do right. with anything. No, Madonna. And they weren't whores. They were just dancing around to hip hop music. There's something no, whorish about it. Right about, about Madonna in that she was an innovator. I'm trying to think of who she might have copied. She didn't really copy people. She innovated, and she was shocking. And that's how you uh, look at Lady Gaga. Well, material girl. Well, material girl was Marilyn Monroe, and gentlemen prefer blondes. Oh yeah. That was fabulous. I mean, that was that movie. Oh that was see Marilyn that. Monroe and Jane people, Russell. People, mm-hmm. people, go on YouTube and see that scene. See Marilyn Monroe singing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, and you'll see a person singing in yep. a natural way. It's not overly uh, tunified. She was high on meth when she did that number. <laughs> she probably was, yeah. <laughs> no, no. She yeah, was. she was. was. I believe she it. She was yeah. a patient of Dr. Feelgood. She was high on yeah, meth yeah, for yeah, most yeah, of yeah. her uh, career. So yeah. we actually, we could date back the, the corruption of women to Marilyn Monroe. No. It started there. No, no, Madonna no. Madonna no, just no, took no, it to the next no, level. No, no, no. She was a tragic no. figure. There's no Norma such Jean thing Baker. as corruption of women. It, it isn't like that. I think women wanted to be free and, and wear whatever they wanted. I think what's going on right now, personally, if you ask me, whoever's making the ultra-high heels – they're not a friend to women because you can't run in those things. And if you can't run, what's the point of being alive? You know, walking comfortably is great. But if you need to run, we're, we're still human animals. If you cobble somebody by, for, by, by making them so stupid that they – in other words, it's not that – it's on the spectrum of the terrorist. And watch, watch the hate mail for this. If you are so um, brainwashed that you think that that looks good and feels horrible – and that you would do that to yourself. That's not a culture that... Well, does Dana Scully wear high heels? It depends on she who, does. who sets she that She does? Uh, she's a question. part of the scenery. Mm-hmm. She's an actress. I'm talking about real women who feel they should wear these kind of shoes. And they feel it makes them look prettier, you see. Because it makes them taller. And it sticks their rear end out. How do women walk with those high heels? I would, uh, how do you well, women in do New it? York, in New York. In incredible In pain. New York. Because I know a lot of editors and executives uh what they do is they'll wear sneakers to commute and they'll change into shoes once they get uh to the office i mean that's exactly what they do in fact you'd be crazy to commute in high stiletto heels i've got some wit and wisdom from the chat it's very lovely marcy who was really upset about the hillary thing but She's saying what we should do with ISIS is dump pig blood all over them all the time, all the time. It's cheap and so forth. And then somebody I else like, is saying – I like PJs better. Send ISIS high heels. Send ISIS high yeah. heels. And yeah, I like PJ. PJ are cool. Dipped in, dipped in a made of – high heels made of kid skin. Kid skin. It's you kid know skin the pig. story about the pig's blood is a myth, Marcy. I know. Marcy, it didn't happen. General Pershing did not do that. Yeah, I know. It never it's happened. It's it is a myth. What happens if Snopes goes away? Who are we going to trust next? Me. We better find – no, I'm serious. We better find a secondary website because – and this is happening to you, Angel, a lot. You're sending – you know, you're, you're 
a lot of people in their support of their candidate are sending what look like normal documentaries, but they're just full of – oh, by the way, which reminds me, Jerry Corsi is fast finishing the finishing touches. And George Norrie last night said uh, about the, the new Corsi book that's supposed to take Hillary down, that's going to be a ball buster. And he meant blockbuster, but he said ball buster, Norrie. And um, – and and Corsi, Corsi is I'm so sick and tired of Corsi. Oh. I may have to take him out. Well, we should have him on the show. Do it. We Bill. should have him on the show and uh, introduce people to his first book he did with us called Leonardo. Leonardo, it's he did the, a. Um, yeah. It's it's a pop up book hmm. on on um. Da Vinci. On da Vinci, yeah. It's ah, actually cool. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And this is before he could get published. And, you know, we, we are a packager and we help people get published. Hi, he Soraya. was published already. <laughs> he did a book called Headshot before he met us. Did he? Yeah, but that's a fiction that nobody really kind of – it didn't It was fly. a fiction, right. It was a fiction. And actually, it was pretty gory and pretty interesting. Um, he he, um, he wondered what I thought of the very first paragraphs because they're really, really, really gory and so forth. That's the kind of guy. Corsi – anyway, Corsi um, – is the fellow who wrote the Swift Boat story, you say. You say the Swift Boat right. story about and, uh, making a war hero into a traitor and making a, a draft dodger into a war hero. That's what Corsi did with uh, Bush. And so if, if somebody's writing a hate book, was it a draft dodger? either side, well, he was a draft dodger in that he got his family to get him out. Well, no. What he did was oh, but it's still he joined dodging. the air. He joined the Texas Air yeah, National then he, Guard. Then he went AWOL, supposedly. In right. other words, he wasn't gung ho to go and fight. Well, Harry, no. You Harry know, he was. wasn't gung ho to go fight in Vietnam because he trained on an aircraft that was obsolete. He he trained so why, okay, on, I think, the F one hundred two Delta. What would Anita? We were using F fours in Vietnam. What would Anita Ekberg mean to this conversation? I'm what just, would what? Anita Ekberg. PJ has just posted. Uh, he's. A, what did he post? Just he just said, "Can I just say Anita Ekberg?" So therefore, I say to you, what does that lead you to? The only thing there were only two. No, idea. no there are only two reasons for people to remember Anita Ekberg, and they were very big reasons. Oh, no, no, no. She was a spy or something. I think PJ will tell us now as we speak. Well, he's on a fact check for us, Nancy. He says he's on a fact check, so let's see if he fact checks. I bet he does. My goodness, he, he, if I uh, name a name from my past, he'll find a photo of that person and it'll be so Oh, wonderful. PJ, remember, Francis is coming, is here next oh, week right. on the PJ. 11th, PJ. Well, PJ set up, a, set up our guest for next week. It is going to be incredible. Francis Hill is an expert on Salem, if I'm not mistaken. The Salem Witch Trials. Salem That's witch our trials. subject next week, yeah. the Salem Witch Trials. I'm going to have nice. – I'm going to get Joel on. And then then we have Vampires in Soroya the following week because we're celebrating that she is now a published author. Yes. Congratulations, Soroya, published so, author. We're celebrating um, She'll be here on the, on the 18th. 25th. She's on the 25th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm Francis is – wait, Francis is on the 11th. Mm-hmm. I'm missing Soroya is on the 18th. I'm missing somebody. Wait one sec. I just signed somebody. Hang on. Uh, sure, let's wait and oh, we'll yeah, do, we'll we'll not say music. anything on radio. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's good. So that's great radio. Have, oh, oh, radio. oh, I'm forgetting. On the 18th. Beep, 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 beep. Aldous huh? Burbank. Aldous Burbank is here on the 18th. Aldous is and a Soraya plant is here on the 25th. Yes. And and I'm trying to get Aldous to put his he, – he used to do a column – um, called Plant Whisperer, I believe. I think he's called his column that, but that's kind of where we're going to go with this. He's a sort of a mystic 
he's known sort of as the green shaman. thumb, huh? Oh my goodness! Well, he's he's he has rubbed elbows with so many interesting people, like um, uh, not Shake Guevara. What's the fellow's name? I'm sorry. Forgive me, Caesar. Chavez. Oh, Cesar Chavez. Cesar Chavez. Oh, he's Cesar Chavez. Chavez. Yeah, he was Cesar Chavez. Chavez. Right. And and he's he shared joints with uh, Terrence McKenna. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing that it, the uh, thing really fascinates me is what I didn't know. And what, he, he what, talks eloquently. What Aldous Burbank told us, which I didn't know, was that Cesar Chavez was a Pachuco in the 1940s. He was in the Zoot Suit, um, whole Zoot Suit riots. In L.A. in the late 1940s. What was that? Uh, not late 1940s, early 1940s. Uh, Pachucos were, it was the very beginning of, um, at least in my limited knowledge, it was the very beginning of um, Mexican self-empowerment in Southern California in the 1940s. Um, there were Pachucos, they wore Zoot Suits, and there's a whole, there's an actual play called Zoot Suit. It's a fascinating period in L.A. history. Um, who writes about it? Elroy. Okay. James Elroy. Well. It's the period of the Black Dahlia. Okay, again, the Blue Dahlia, the Black Dahlia. We have two windmills standing in a field, and one asks the other, what kind of music do you like? We need a Red Dahlia. Okay, okay, I will, I will repeat this. We have two windmills standing in a field, and one asks the other, what kind of music do you like? And oh the boy. answer is? Oh I'm, a, I'm a big metal fan. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Okay, well. Uh, uh, where is, uh, Robert, where's, where's Robert Morningstar and his crickets when we need him? Yes. <laughs> so, um... Anybody wants to call in, we have 10 minutes to go, so you certainly can uh, call in to make a comment. Well, on I, any- I have a, a list of jokes. Um, oh, please. Okay. <laughs> if pigs could fly, oh, I bet their wings would be delicious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Think about it. That is it. true. That is true, though. Yeah, think about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so somebody will bail us out. Somebody will call in. Oh, no. or, or Chris will sing for his supper, or Angel will uh, come up with something very clever. Or Bill. Bill will do something. I can I'm, do something. But I think Bill will come up with something. Come on, Bill. Wonder. It'll be after 12. People will get bored. They'll say, oh, my God. So um, Here, Here's something. Here's something. Um, recently, uh, actually, just recently, this last night, I saw Independence Day Resurgence. And uh, oh, have you yeah. seen it, Nancy, yet? Have you seen yes, it? Yes, yes, we yes. We Bill. saw part of it. Yeah. yeah. Except, okay, one more. Taking a dog for a walk is like taking a walk for a dog. Anyway, back to Independence Day Resurgence. Yeah, like yeah, I was yeah, saying, about that, Angel. Yeah. Now, the first act of the movie is a little slow, but after it gets slow. going, it's a little weird. It's a little slow. Oh, it's a little bit odd. The first acting to sleep. Yeah, well, this is true. But once he wakes up, it gets really good after that. You haven't seen the whole thing yet, Bill, have you? Not the whole thing. We did. We saw the whole thing, but it was fuzzy, Angel. That's okay. Shh, I don't. Nancy, what do you mean fuzzy? You're at a theater. It was fuzzy. Yeah, fuzzy. I'm just telling and you. And somebody sat down right in front of us. And somebody sat down right in front of us. It wrecked it. Jerks. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. So I want to see it again. But I, I thought it was pretty good myself. I did. I liked it. There's I a lot of critics it. talking about it. In fact, it was funny because uh, Steve Bassett, or my good friend Steve Bassett, had posted something uh, on his Facebook about how much he hated the movie, I guess. Um, and uh, Because it's not telling the truth about Alien. And, and I'm like, dude, sometimes, you know, a movie's just a movie. Entertainment is just entertainment. Not everything is about disclosure. You know, that's... Well, well, yeah, no, not the fascinating, even Steve no, I mean, you're right. Uh, the fascinating part about it is there is always the ugly alien. 
You know, there's always right. the monstrous alien. Because when I was doing the publicity for Battle L.A., mm-hmm. one of the questions that folks kept on asking was, why are the aliens so horrendous? And so my theory's always been, it's not a theory, I think it's true, that we are the aliens on planet Earth. I mean, we mm-hmm. were the ones yeah. planted here. You know, we've met E.T. and it is us. But what mm-hmm. if the current flock of really scary aliens, all starting with alien coming out with Sigourney Weaver, what if that flock of scary aliens is a correlation to the horrible hatred we're talking about that's kind of cropping up in the world? Do you think maybe there's... I think the similar? creation of yeah. ugly aliens was a CIA creation. Yeah, well, here's the thing, though. In, in this movie, though, the one thing, though, Bill, in this movie, by you know, I don't want to give away too much, uh, but by the mid-act of the movie, you start to find out that the evil aliens are not the only aliens out there that are going to come to Earth. In fact, there's an alien race that comes to Earth to save humanity. Right. And, you know, Fun the humans out. mistaken it as, a, as an act of war, and they attack this alien who's here to, to help us right. uh, until they realize, oh, man, we goofed up. This is actually not, you know, they're not evil. So it's not always the evil aliens. They're, look, the movie represented something that is very true, uh, especially when it comes to alien life, if, the, if there is any out there, which I believe there is, you're going to find both good and evil aliens. That's just the way it is because here on Earth you find both good and evil people. I think that's something you're going to see spread out through the universe eventually when we find life out there. We're going to have aliens that are good and aliens that are bad. And the movie really Here's did my that. theory. Yeah. The, the movie the, did a nice job of depicting it that. did. It also had a woman president. It did. Yes, it yes. did. I it's mean, fiction. Theory, she got eaten by, no, I mean, by an alien. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, my theory about that is that good and bad are not terms we can use for the aliens. I mean, I believe that that they are not terms that apply to no, extraterrestrials. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. Well, it, look, good and bad is determined by your point of view. If a, if a race is coming to another planet to destroy that planet and take all its resources and kill every being on it, they're pretty evil. Right, but from their That's point evil. of view... From, from the point, point of view of the people whose planet no, is no, being ravaged, right. sure. from their point of view, they could be evil. I mean, in other words, there really is such a thing as plants growing in the, um, uh, you know, things growing in the dark and things growing in the sunlight. There just really is two different things. E- some things are just evil, right? Right. I right. really tend to think that the races we're going to come in contact with, and we will, and I'm hoping we will in my lifetime. Oh, not me. The race we're going to come in contact no, with. No. Well, I mean, we may come in contact with them robotically. I truly I mean, say to it you, may if be, ever aliens it may be. presented themselves to me, I don't think I would ever be the same. I think I would be 100% different, and I don't. I really do think 100% different. I mean, we have I I roughly about knowledge. 30 minutes before we have a robotic spacecraft no, entering orbit no, no. of Jupiter. Folks are telling us in chat. I think let's just see here. Lou's been on it. He's got one ear there. So? Yeah. So Less than 9,000 miles to Jupiter. Bill, yeah. 9,000 yeah. miles no. to Jupiter. Lou knows. Anyway, so, so my theory is that what we will find at a certain point is at least one race in which... In our solar system? It, in our solar system or we'll find it in our solar system, but maybe it doesn't belong in our... It, maybe it didn't come from our solar system. Is at least one race in which the... Dis, in which it is a race of machine-like creatures, very far advanced, who basically outgrew their carbon-based life-form masters. Right. That's part of the, the good aliens in uh, Independence Day, too. 
Mm-hmm. Right. They outgrew their carbon bodies and became kind of uh, robotic symbiotes. So, you know, they, they inhabited machines. And here's the thing. I, I'm fairly convinced at this point that our solar system is teeming with life. But I a think lot of, so. I think our solar system has life on a lot of the planets, but they're underground. Okay, they're they're yeah. not. They're not. Right. Surface dwellers, like, like I totally we are. agree with you. Okay, I so think we, we are at Jupiter. Lou says they are patting each other on the back. You All know right, what good, that means. Good job. Good Congratulations. Job. Good, job. good job. We have arrived at Jupiter. Thank you, Lou. Woo-hoo. All right. You're saying, Bill, uh, you agree with me there? Because well, I, like I like when you agree with me. Go ahead. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, I do believe that in places like possibly Pluto, possibly Jupiter, possibly Neptune, possibly Saturn, or possibly any one of the moons, and Claudius moons like that. Yep. Europa. Yeah, Europa. We will find that there are, at the very least, forms of bacteria, forms of virus um, living there under the surface in oceans. And how they got there, I mean, it's not, you know, um, the Vulcans didn't deposit them. They got there because meteoric impacts, impacts from celestial bodies like meteors, like um, debris, Deposited DNA in these in these oceans. Okay, the, so so and over so the, the millions chat, of years, the uh, the, yeah, yeah, uh, the yeah. DNA basically evolved. I just I'll, I'll go a step further, and I think there's intelligent life in our solar system other than on Earth, and these are people that are or beings that are living underground. That's my take on I it. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. yeah like I the clay people that. from and, and and a lot of them are the UFOs that a lot of people are, are seeing in their skies. It makes more sense to have that as be the possibility of why we're seeing so many UFOs other than people coming from like star systems that are light years away where the distance is so vast that for them to travel here would take so long that is it's just really not it's not a practical use of time unless you're not traveling here i mean think about this what if instead of your traveling through space and time yourself here what? But here, let me throw this in real fast. Cause he was going somewhere really good with that, I know. Yeah, so PJ was saying mole people rule the universe, and then you mole guys... Mole people? Go, yeah, yeah, but here's a thought. They have found that way, way, way older in civilization, 100,000 100, 100, years ago, we had our own people in caves. Of course we did. Et cetera. What if they came to caves because they came from another planet, and on all the other planets, they're in caves? And that's Correct. what they just thought they should do. Excellent theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm 100% with that. Aldous, Aldous. Makes Burbank. sense. Aldous Burbank joined the conversation. Look at that, Aldous. They must have been really pale people. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Like little greys, maybe? Yeah. And so AP hmm. confirms what Lucian has just said, that NASA has just confirmed that Juno has successfully entered orbit. Around Jupiter, we have succeeded. And in if you're a, if you're a Hoagland fan, I bet tonight's a good night to listen. And if you are um, a Stanley Kubrick fan, mm-hmm. we have done what Stanley Kubrick and oh yeah, 2001: Space Odyssey well, said yet, we do. Not yet, because it has to go a little further out before all hell breaks loose. It's right? Jupiter. I know, but but this so is- we still haven't found the monolith, though. Once yeah, we but no, we already we already found the monolith, as you know. That's how we went off to Jupiter. And in fact, that was um, that was a bit of a, um, a copycat in the movie last night. Yes, you know? yes, I, that beacon, that bothered me. Beacon, that did beacon, bother yeah. me. I noticed that. I said, and folks, if you've never seen two thousand one, try to see it so you kind of have a base, and and it, it holds up. Yes, it does. And we are out of time. So, um, gradu- so I just want to say thank you, Colonel John Alexander, John Alexander, PhD, for joining us tonight.
and talking about Orlando and theories about <clears throat> violence and suicidal murder and ISIS and things like that. Thank you, John. And also shamans. Uh, congratulations to the folks at um, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory uh, in Pasadena and to NASA uh, for successfully inserting the Juno spacecraft into orbit around Jupiter. And thank you to our folks in chat who talked to us, sent us messages. And thank you, Chris. Thank, thank you, you Chris. Thank yeah. you, Angel. And Jesse? everybody, we are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Good night, everybody. Burns, broadcasting on Future Theater Live from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Sobelly Village, Pennsylvania, on this wonderful July 4th. Again, happy birthday, USA, 240 years. And we will all see you next week with our guest. Francis Hill. Francis Hill will be talking about the Salem Witch Trials, talk about Americana, the Salem Witch Trials. So have a wonderful remainder of the 4th of July. Have a wonderful week. We will see you next week. Good night from Future Theater.